Hello, Energy Gang listeners. You know, over the years, many have asked, can you do more than one Energy Gang a week? The answer, unfortunately, is no. Schedules and time make it pretty hard, but you've probably noticed that we're all of a sudden giving out a bunch of new episodes this week. We once again present to you another free episode of our sister podcast called The Interchange, which will soon only be available to subscribers of our new premium service, GTM Squared. In this episode, we're looking at solar startup strategies, and in the next one, coming later this week, our last free one, we'll talk about everything you should know about yield co's. For more on how to keep getting this podcast and tons of other stuff for a very, very low yearly price, visit greentechmedia.com squared. Now here's the show. This is The Interchange, a weekly conversation on the changing business of energy and clean tech from GTM Squared. This week, we're talking about what entrepreneurs and solar startups need to know to create the next billion-dollar energy company. And I'm Stephen Lacey, a senior editor at Green Tech Media, one half of the conversation here in Washington, D.C. My other half is in Boston. It is Shale Khan, the senior vice president of GTM Research. How are you, Shale? I'm doing well. I'm just emerging from reading this two. 1,000-word essay from David Roberts about the Rev Initiative in New York, which is really killer. You should check it out. No, he I haven't just read it yet. It. He is oh, great. such a fantastic writer. He makes every complicated subject accessible. He brings a political viewpoint that I know some people disagree with, but in terms of his explaining abilities, boy, is, is he really good. Um, and anyone who knows Shale knows that he's also a good explainer, but he's, he's, uh, he's also a really good juggler. He's a stellar poker player, an amazing basketball player. I just found out all these things at our company retreat. And you're a good whistler, too. Uh, we Whistling had a, is the most important one among yeah. all of those. Well, we had our company retreat last week, and, and Shale showed his uh, multi-talented personality. Um, here to give us some insight about the solar startup world is Emily Kirsch, the co-founder and CEO of Powerhouse, the only incubator that I know of exclusively dedicated to solar. She joins us from Oakland. And Emily, we appreciate you being on. Do you have any hidden talents that people might not know about? Ooh, hidden talents. Uh, one surprising fact that most people wouldn't guess is I used to ride motorcycles. I started when I was 19, did it until I was 25 when I got smart enough to realize that I should quit while I was ahead. What kind of motorcycle riding? Like uh, racing? My first one? No, no, not racing. Uh, but my first was an 81 Kawasaki and the most recent was a 2006 Honda Nighthawk. Do you ever see yourself getting back on one? Uh, no, my thrill and risk is now all in the startup space. <laughs> oh, well, so let's talk about risk. Let's talk about what the startups that um, you have in your incubator are dealing with. Um, but before we do that, I want to put both of your guessing skills to work. We, we start this show off with some kind of challenge, and today is directly related to you, Emily. I've combed through the depths of Google, well, really, they're just the first few pages of Google search, to find other companies, solar companies, or products with the same name, Powerhouse. And Shale and Emily, you have to guess which one is the fake one that I make up. So Emily, we're going to give you the honors as our guest here. Here are your three choices. And again, you have to guess which one of these companies is fake. Powerhouse Solar Tracker Systems, based in Stratford, Ontario. Powerhouse Storage, a residential solar plus storage company based in Perth, Australia. Or Powerhouse Solar Shingles, made by Dow. Uh, I am going to go with option two in Australia, storage. Shale, what about you? You want me to read them again? 
No, I got it. I know there's only one of these that I know for a fact. The third one, Powerhouse, the, the Dow product, I remember that one. So that's real. So it's either one or two. Um, I'm going to go with number one is fake. Shale, you know, you're, you're 0 for 2 in this. Emily, yeah. you got it. Yes. <laughs> powerhouse Storage. The fake one is Powerhouse Storage from Australia. They, there are a lot of up-and-coming storage companies trying to sell to uh, homeowners, solar homeowners in Australia, but one of them is not Powerhouse Storage. Ugh. This podcast you know, is have, really ruining have, my credibility. I have the unfair advantage of having done some research in this space, so Shale makes me feel better. Yeah, and, and likely you've probably looked at the Google rankings and seen the number of powerhouses. There are many. There are many. Uh, well, you know, Shale, I'm assuming that people listen to the full podcast. So if they're just <laughs> judging your intelligence off of your, your record during these challenges, they aren't listening far enough. Please stay with us, as Hourglass would say. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the powerhouse we actually gathered to, to discuss. Emily, uh, it, Powerhouse is both an accelerator and an incubator. You're based in Oakland. You've supported companies that are pretty well known in the space, like Mosaic, for example. And today I want to sort of help other entrepreneurs and startups understand how these companies that you're working with are trying to grow, what their strategies are, what kind of resources they're accessing and they're looking for. And, and I think it's helpful to start with a breakdown of the types of companies that you're supporting. Where do they tend to skew on the spectrum of capital-heavy or capital-light business models? Absolutely. So our focus is with capital-light companies. So we focus on software solutions and financial solutions to drive solar adoption. So we have 20 companies in-house with us, and we have invested in six so far. All six that we've invested in are software or financial-focused. So to give you a couple examples of the companies who are here at Powerhouse and some that we've invested in, uh, Bright Current was one of the first, and they are the nation's largest retail provider of home solar solutions, which means they partner with retailers like Best Buy and Sears to design and execute direct-to-consumer clean energy programs. A uh, great story behind the company, the founder, John Bourne, was a senior business development analyst at Sun Edison when he was 26. He had this idea that retail could be a great way to, to develop uh, potential customers for solar. And he pitched the idea to his boss at the time who said, fantastic idea, can't do it for six months, maybe a year, come back to me then. And he said, I really think this has potential. I want to do it now. So decided to leave to start the business at 27 years old. When they joined us in the accelerator, they had 20 employees. They just hired their 100th employee, and they're in five states across the country. So if you're at a Best Buy um, and you see somebody in a Sunrun or a Sunjevity or a, uh, a Sunpower t-shirt, that very well might be a bright current employee that's having that face-to-face -face and direct conversation with a potential customer. And then when you move to accessing data, so let's say a customer decides they want to go solar, we all know the first step is to get access to 12 months of their utility bills. As it is now, that process is difficult, time-consuming, a lot of customers drop off along the way, and that's where utility API comes in. They're another company that recently graduated from our accelerator, and they're building the universal API for energy data. And what that means is they automate the collection of data from utility companies and gets it into the hands of solar providers. 
a great story behind that company. The founder, one of the co-founders, uh, Daniel Rossler, he was working for a commercial develop developer and participated in one of our first solar hackathons. He's a programmer. Uh, he had a fantastic idea. And uh, although the idea wasn't utility API, he was inspired by the startup community here to start his own business. And he found his now CEO, Alina Lucas, who was actually working at PG&E as an analyst and saw firsthand how difficult it was for people who want to get solar to get access to their very own data. And so she decided to leave PG&E and partner with Daniel to build utility APIs so that people could easily access their own data when they want to go solar. This is such a nice compliment to our first episode on what needs to happen technologically to drive down the cost of solar. Because what I'm hearing you say as you, you walk through the companies that, that you're working with is that these companies and you believe that the technology is ready and that it's really like an access issue and a streamlining issue on the financing side or on the customer acquisition side. Is that, is that a correct assumption? That's absolutely right. And I remember from the first so show, Varun actually said, you know, what we really need is to drive to drive uh, investment and to drive innovation in solar software, that the hardware is great. You know, SolarCity made their announcement last week about the most efficient panel in the world. Uh, I do believe that existing hardware will continue to get better and adapt, and it won't be these, you know, clunky 60-cell modules that are put up, up on roofs. But the point is the hardware has gone down. The cost has, has decreased so much over the past five years. We've seen, you know, 80, 90% decreases in the cost of panels. So the question no longer is how do we make the hardware affordable? It's how do we make the soft costs affordable? And according to Department of Energy for residential solar in the U.S., the soft cost represents 64% of the system. And so all of these companies that are at Powerhouse and some that I mentioned are all focused on bringing those soft costs down so that solar can become the most affordable energy resource in the world. Yeah, I, I have a question that I'm, I'm betting you get fairly regularly and certainly in, like, in conversations that I've had over the years with venture capitalists who are looking at the solar sector, a lot of them immediately are drawn towards software and analytics and things like that because it's, it's you know, such a popular venture model in other industries. And then they look at it in solar and a lot of times what they end up seeing is a bunch of, you know, pretty attractive individual point solutions um, that look like good businesses, but not like venture businesses in the sense that they could be valuable and they might be used by companies in the space, but they're not going to create a billion dollar exit, you know? And it strikes me that the, you know, you even mentioned this, you've managed to fill a bunch of different niches within the pipeline, just on the soft cost side. I wonder sort of how you imagine any of the companies that are in the incubator now, like scaling to the point where they could see a venture style exit, a huge exit in the market. Right. It's a great question. And it is one that we get a lot. And I think it's helpful to think about the greater context that the industry is in. Uh, and so I was looking at Bloomberg New Energy Outlook, which makes predictions between now and 2040. So over the next 25 years, you know, they're predicting that given the continued co cost decline for hardware, there's going to be $3.7 trillion of investment in solar, both large scale and small scale. Um, and that $2.2 trillion of that is going to go onto rooftop and other local PV systems. Uh, a lot of it also focused on developing and emerging markets. So the point is, I think we are looking at a trillion dollar opportunity. And so within that, what are those billion dollar companies and solutions that can grow and scale? And that for now, you're absolutely right. The companies that we work with, most of them are just getting started. We're working with them on their seed rounds. Uh, we're getting them connected to their first customers. Uh, but they 
they all have billion dollar ideas. Uh, and if you think about publicly traded solar companies, it's hard to name one that's more than 10 years old. And so we are an industry of startups. We're really just getting started and we're going to need mil- you know, many more solar cities and Elon Musk's to, to reach the kind of potential that the solar industry has. And that's what Powerhouse is here to do is to help those entrepreneurs scale uh, to the level that we will see in the years to come. Yeah, I think that's right. But I mean, I just to put some like back of the envelope numbers on it. So solar, you know, you, you said maybe a few trillion dollars globally over the next 30 years, but that's not the timeline under which startups are operating, right? So let's let's look at today. Solar in the US is, is like something like an $18 billion market this year, maybe 20 if it does really well. Um, a lot of the things that you mentioned are, are specifically sort of on the customer side of the meter focused. So we'll take the utility scale centralized generation out of the mix. So we're maybe a $10 billion market total of which you said, I think software or, or soft costs rather represent a little over half. So five or $6 billion for soft costs. Some of those soft costs are things you can't reduce, right? So labor and interconnection costs, some of those things, permitting. So, you know, maybe tw- I think it seems reasonable to imagine like 20% of total system costs are kind of software related or something software could address. So maybe it's like a $2 billion total addressable market for solar software. If that, that seems high even, but so one to 2 billion maybe today for solar software. And then if you go within that, like now, then we really get into the weeds and we're talking about, you know, utility API, which is a totally you know, exciting and necessary thing, but is providing the data on the solar customer's um, energy usage to the solar company a billion-dollar business. Let's talk about what's behind your back-of-the-envelope calculations. Are you just saying that we should temper expectations for how big these software companies could potentially get? No, I don't. I don't necessarily think that's the case. This is just, I know it's an issue that solar startups in general face when they go to raise money is that they have an idea oftentimes it's a it's a clever point solution like many of the things that we've talked about already and it works and they've gotten some uptake and then they go out to vcs and they say okay now i want to raise a seed round or i want to raise my a round to go do this and the vcs say yeah that seems like a great business but you're not going to be big enough for me to be interested right vcs want to see some huge exit it's how they make their portfolios work. So a lot of times these companies sort of struggle at the end of the day to really get traction and particularly to get money just because they're not going to be a billion dollar business, which isn't to say that they can't be really successful in fast growing businesses. It's just the nature of venture capital and the sort of limitations of that model. Yeah, a lot of people and- come to us thinking that they need to go to Sand Hill Road and who do we know there and who are the VCs that they should talk to. We can absolutely make those introductions and we do. And there's a lot of great players in the space like Obvious and Generate and Prelude and DBL uh, that are very well known and respected in the space. But we try to, to manage those expectations and make it clear that uh, the romanticization of of the Valley and of Sand Hill and of the VC, you know, pitch world is not necessary, especially for where these companies are at now. And in fact, if they go and and pitch to to these VCs, like you said, Shale, they're 
they pretty much always say, great idea, really interesting, too small for us. If the five of you want to wrap something up together, that could be interesting to us. So I think you're absolutely right. They're, they're not yet at the state where they are pitching these bigger VCs. When they do, the best possible outcome is some of them come in as individuals um, you know, and, and can get their friends together and invest in the round. But our role is really to connect them to angels in the space, people like Tom Dinwoody, the former CTO of SunPower, who is on our selection committee, helps us review all of our deals, and who actually made the first acquisition out of Powerhouse um, last year, a company called Sunnable, uh, that he rolled into his new company, uh, Domino. So so I think you're right. It's, it's really about who to pitch and when, and if they go straight to VCs, they will be turned down. And that's why we're here to help them manage that process. Yeah, and I could, I could give a counterexample, too, of a company that I think is at least thus far has been going the right way, uh, which is Folsom Labs, which I guess is maybe a competitor to PV Complete in your portfolio. But, you know, Folsom Labs has been around for a few years. They created a sort of better alternative to PV Syst, which was the, for years and years and years, the dominant technology to do PV system design. And they never really went out and raised a lot of money. They raised one round from angels um, and they've been growing and having a ton of success. But, you know, I think rightly recognize that like PV system design may not in and of itself be a billion dollar business. So either they're going to just keep growing without taking too much money in or, you know, they'll try to develop their ambitions to be a lot broader before they go out and, and raise a big round. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be working for them. You could say the same thing for KWH Analytics, actually, which you mentioned, Emily, and I know was in, involved in Powerhouse in the earlier days as well. They also haven't raised a ton of money yet, but mm-hmm. are seeing uptake of what they're doing and you know have, have a role to play. Well, your point, Emily, brings me to some actionable information that I think we can give our listeners who are potentially building businesses in this space. What types of angel investors should they be looking for? I mean, part of your competitive advantage is that you're giving them access to people. Um, and, you know, perhaps you don't want to go super deep on the types of investors you're connecting with them with. But like, generally, what should what types of investors beyond traditional VCs should they be trying to access? Are there any type of people within the solar industry like a Tom Dinwoody that are really active in this space? Um, you know, help, help uh, provide some points that people running startups might take from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we like to say we're all on the solar coaster together and we have some pretty high highs and we've gone through some pretty low lows. So uh, in that solar coaster, I think it's important to recognize when there are those high highs and there are opportunities to connect with people who have done really well for themselves. Uh, so when uh, you know, when Next Tracker is acquired, that might be a good time to talk to them about uh, engaging in the angel investing space. Uh, so I think there's there's a, an opportunity to to benefit from the ups and downs of that solar coaster and to um, connect with individuals who who are doing well um, f- out of the industry. And that's you know that's really our strategy is having built relationships with leaders in the space who have done well for themselves and who who already know that that solar is going to be this trillion dollar opportunity we don't really waste our times with people who we have to convince of that you know if and when they they come to that realization they can come to us and uh, and many have you know a lot of uh, family offices um uh and individuals have come to us saying you know I have some experience in the space interested in uh, becoming more active in the angel investing space so so we just track the ups and downs and when it's when it's up we uh, make sure that that people who have been successful have the opportunity to support the next generation of entrepreneurs. When you're evaluating companies, when they come to you, what are you looking for? I mean, 
I'd actually like to, to look at this on the negative side. Can you give us some examples of what not to do when pitching your business model? Mm-hmm. Are there any like really glaring mistakes that you see startups and entrepreneurs make? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd say one one that just cracks me up every time that I hate to hear is when we ask about competition, they say they don't have any <laughs> because uh, they're addressing something that nobody else is addressing. There's always competition. And even if it's just the inherent fossil fuel industry, then that's your competition. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's such a good point. I On the journalistic side, I get so many pitches from companies who want us to cover them. And the one common thing I see is duplication over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Many of these companies look the same and they think that they're pitching something unique. And in reality, they're not. What do you see a lot of? Wait, I'm just curious to dig into that for a second. Like, what is the what's the archetype you're seeing over and over again? Oh, it's not as much on the solar side, to be honest. I mean, if off the top of my head, it's many, many efficiency software providers, folks that are doing residential efficiency, people who are developing apps to monitor your energy use. I mean, there are hundreds of companies in that space right now, and the vast majority are doing almost the exact same thing. And the ones that are really finding new sources of utility data are working directly with utilities, I think are doing the most unique stuff. But when it comes to connecting directly to the consumer to show them how they can manage their energy use, uh, I see duplication of business models over and over again. And they pitch it as if it were brand new. And clearly... Many of them who are who are in the process of pitching to journalists or potentially to investors have not really figured out a way to differentiate what they're doing. So uh, on the solar side, I see it less so, but so many examples on the intelligent efficiency side. Emily, what about you? Or is, is there any sort of you know version of a startup that you've seen a whole bunch of times coming through? You know, interestingly, I don't know if it's just luck or what, but we have companies that really span the value chain. You know, from I mentioned, you know, lead gen marketing, utility data design, asset management, uh, energy management, remote management. You know, that all we've been surprisingly lucky to see not a ton of overlap yet. Uh, but I think it's funny that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who who think they're going to build and flip. And, you know, what we see on a day-to-day basis with the entrepreneurs who are working at our desks and in the office every day is that it really is years and years of grit and persistence and a matter of establishing the right culture and getting into the right network that builds success. You know, there's no secret formula for startups that that they're going to get if they come here. It's really about the management team. It's about the market opportunity. And it's about the financial model that that they can execute on. And that's really what determines whether they get into the accelerator or not. Any others, any other mistakes that you find are, are common? Uh, you know, so, I don't know if this is a nature of when engineers get into the startup space, but surprisingly a lot of underestimation. You know, I mentioned the financial model is the, the, the third of the three M's. You know, it's the management team, the market opportunity, and the model. And on the model, I actually find that a lot of companies seem to to underestimate, which in some ways is, is refreshing because you get plenty of uh, uh, ov- not, I'm not going to say overly ambitious, but uh, maybe overly confident entrepreneurs who who set expectations that that are not realistic. But then we've also seen a lot of very humble uh, people come out of the programming and the technical side uh, who who have great ideas and I think are absolutely under underestimating their own potential. So we can help them understand what the market opportunity really is and make sure that they're not limiting it to uh, California or the U.S. There's one final element that I want to talk about, and that is the types of entrepreneurs that you're seeing. Obviously, there's a a big gender problem in Silicon Valley. Is there a better gender balance in solar or in your incubator? I mean, are there more female entrepreneurs 
in this space than uh, in other tech areas in Silicon Valley? It's a great question and one that I'm really happy you asked. I think a lot of times this question gets asked of female founders or female business leaders and doesn't get asked of of executive men in the same space. And I think it's a conversation that women have been having for a long time and it's a one that we'll continue to have. But where the conversation really needs to happen is, is amongst men who do represent the majority of leaders in the industry. So I'm excited that you brought it up. Uh, as far as Powerhouse, particularly three of the six companies that we've invested in have female uh, founders, uh, which is, you know, that's, that's uh, pretty distinct compared to the rest of the industry. Uh, you asked about the comparison between solar and tech, and unfortunately, we're actually behind. Uh, the solar industry represents about 20% um, women, whereas tech in general uh, is about 30%, at least according to... Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, according to a, a new study out um, by CNET called Solving for XX, um, and included uh, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, Apple, Intel, Microsoft, Google, a few others. Um, so we actually have some ways to go just to catch up to tech, but the the kind of sad part is that when you dig into those numbers, when you get into technical roles, the role of women drops to 15% and the role of leadership um, goes down. Uh, I'm sorry, the role, technical roles, yeah, 15%. The leadership roles go down to 20%. So there's a lot of work to be done to support uh, women entrepreneurs in the space. Um, and the good news is there's this interesting analogy with solar that people used to go solar because it was the right thing to do. Now people go solar because they want to save money. And we're seeing the same thing with women in business and especially women in leadership roles. Um, there's a, a new study out um, that found uh, just looking at the UK, India, and the US, when there are boards without a woman on the board, it is costing uh, $655 billion a year. So there's actually financial implications for gender balance in the workplace. So, you know, having women on your board or women in executive leadership or women in technical roles is no longer just the right thing to do. It's actually going to make everyone more money. So one final question for you from me, which is I know Powerhouse is solar focused, um, was originally named Cube, and then just changed the name to Powerhouse, I guess, last month. Um, but you're still primarily focused on solar. And I guess w one of my questions is we've talked about before on this podcast and Green Tech Media has been reporting a lot on the kind of convergence of technology for customers with regard to energy. So solar getting combined with energy efficiency or energy storage or energy management and other technologies. It, it seems to me like even if you wanted to primarily focus on solar, at some point it would make sense to kind of look at the the technologies and the whole world that's on the periphery. Is that in the cards or are you laser focused on solar for the time being? Love the question. And when we first started, we had a lot of people say, you have to be broader than solar. You're not going to get enough uh, deal flow <clears throat> or pipeline to make it work with just solar. But we, you know, looking to the future, saw that there is a wide open sky of opportunity in the solar industry. We have only just begun, you know, less than 2% of our electricity in the country is coming from solar. So the potential for uh, growth and for businesses that are solar specific is literally infinite, um, as infinite as the sun shines. Uh, but we also know that in order for solar to grow and scale as quickly as possible, elements of efficiency, storage, um, management, all of those 
uh, auxiliary services and products that allow for solar's growth, we are absolutely committed to the success of all of that. So we do have companies in Powerhouse um, that are storage specific. We actually even have a hardware company that is literally building batteries. Um, we have a company that's doing the, the analytics on battery performance and testing. Um, so we absolutely believe that for the industry to scale, it has to have those uh, that nexus of support services around it. And so we're committed to supporting the entire industry's growth, including those services that are necessary. One last question. How often do you use the term like the Netflix of solar or the eBay of solar <laughs> or the kayak or Travelocity of solar? Uber, but for solar. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a fair, a fair amount because because it'll happen. You know, we've seen that disruption in housing. I'm a host on Airbnb. I have people from around the world all the time. So we're seeing not the purification, but the peerification, the peer economy. You know, we've seen that for housing. We've seen it for transportation. It will happen with energy. It's inevitable. We will create it. We will store it. We will sell it ourselves. You know, and that's that's something that I'm really excited about that I think we've only just begun to lay the foundation for what that can look like. And I just can't wait to see the kind of innovation that's going to happen in that space. I think that's an interesting question, Stephen, because I was just, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I was just finishing this article by David Roberts about the Rev Initiative in New York. And one of the things I was thinking about in it is if you read the the track two proposal from the New York Public Service Commission about Rev, it talks a lot about um, leveraging the fact that electricity is a network and benefiting from the network effects that that provides. And it uses explicitly uses the analogy of the internet and things like that, which is sort of the model upon which all those Airbnbs and Ubers and companies like that are built. But uh, I, I wonder the extent to which that analogy holds up to deeper scrutiny and, and the extent to which, you know, electricity as a network carries the same characteristics that the internet does and allows for the same kinds of I don't know, um, broadening of the, the, both the customer and provider base in the, in the same way. Maybe that's the topic for the next podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, you just opened up a whole new can of worms. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you on that, but I think that the analogy is helpful. So maybe we can uh, discuss that on another show. For now, we'll end it there. Emily Kirsch is the co-founder and CEO of Powerhouse, uh, an incubator and accelerator for solar startups based in Oakland, California. Emily, how can folks find out more about the incubator or potentially apply? Absolutely. We are at joinpowerhouse.solar, and the application deadline for companies that will start in January is at the end of this month, October 30th. So if you are interested in joining, get your application in by then. You can do it all through the website. And I am at Emily Kirsch on Twitter, and we are at joinpowerhouse. Thanks for being here. This was fun. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And Shale Khan is our senior VP of GTM Research. Always a pleasure, sir. Likewise. See you next week. This podcast, The Interchange, is a production of GTM Squared, which is our new premium editorial service. If you are listening to this on the Energy Gang feed, it will soon end for free. But for $1.99 per year, you can become a square and receive much more exclusive content, including multiple in-depth article series, research highlights, and multimedia extras like this podcast. If you like what you hear, make your way over to gtmsquared.com and learn more about what Squared has to offer. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you join us next time. Uh, and with Shale Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey for The Interchange. Interchange.